Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, I'm Paul Stevenson, and this is episode 102 of VRP Rocks, the ultimate classic rock podcast that says that my music is better than yours. Make sure to subscribe to VRP Rocks on your podcast app right now so you don't miss any of the big name guests I've got lined up for you with new VRP Rocks episodes releasing every single Monday. Now, I know I say this every week, but, well, it's true. Today's interview is a cracker. I speak with a wonderful guitar player, a man who's worked with legends like Ronnie James Dio and Whitesnake and with Glenn Hughes in The Dead Daisies. I am, of course, talking about the brilliant Doug Aldridge. Now, in this conversation with Doug, we go into his early years and being inspired by Jeff Beck, his audition with Kiss and why that didn't work out. Then those early years with Lion and then in Hurricane, which got huge success in Japan. Then we go proper deep into his years with Ronnie James Dio and David Coverdale. And he opens up on the heart-wrenching decision where he had to choose between the two legends. He had to go with one and not the other. And the one that he didn't choose took it really badly, as you're going to hear. Then we get into his time now with the Dead Daisies, the band that have got a big tour planned. They've already been touring hard in the US and things are looking better than ever. So there you go. I really hope you enjoy this interview. There's some great stories. And as I said, Doug is very open and honest, especially about that tug of war with Dio and Whitesnake. So here you go. Enjoy my chat with the wonderful guitarist, Doug Aldrich. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to chat with you, Doug. Um, fantastic career you've had, and I'm looking forward to hearing all your stories. And obviously, you're coming over to Europe as well to to play with the Dead Daisies, plus the, the release of the new Best Of album. That's all to come. But I want to go right back to the beginning and, and talk to you about a story that I read about you being inspired by your older sister's Jeff Beck Records. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, um, I had probably... I probably had already... Yeah, I, I had already started to play guitar, and I was just interested in hearing hearing different people and uh i actually didn't have a a uh, record player i didn't have one but my sister had one and so i just went kind of fishing through her collection and she had a jeff beck record that blow by blow is a, is probably 
it might be his best solo record ever. They're all amazing, but um, that was done in 1975. So around that time, she got it, and I I got into it, and it was just it just took my took my heart, man. The the, the feel that he got on that record, and um, I just you know you could really hear what hear his expression on that. It just really hit me deep. Yeah. And we sadly lost him at the start of the year, didn't he? So can you reflect on his legacy and, and just where you place him in the, the pantheon of some of the greatest guitarists we've ever seen? I mean, he, he, I saw him play a couple times and uh, I got to meet him a couple times. What the, one of the, the most coolest one was um, he was playing with Carlos Santana. Well, actually, I saw him play, him and Jeff Beck, uh, sorry, him and Stevie Ray Vaughan did a tour together in 1989. Oh, wow. And I saw that show. And that was great. They were kind of trading off and they jammed at the end. Then I saw him at um, the Greek theater in Los Angeles and um, Carmine, a piece had invited me to come and he took me backstage. And I, I, you know, I met all these, I mean, I met Carlos Santana and Billy Gibbons and all these people were hanging out. I didn't get to meet Jeff, but I saw the show and it was killer. And I went back home and Carmine called me and I was in bed and he goes, dude, I'm over here at the Sunset Marquee at the bar with Jeff. You should come down. And I, I can just imagine the sheets just go Whoo, and jumped off. And I, w- I went down there and I met him and he was he was nice. He was, you know, I mean, after show, he just kind of had a lot of people around him, but he was nice. But then I met him again um, years later, probably 10 years later or something. Uh, David Coverdale and him were friends and he was playing in. Reno, Nevada, and he invited David to come, and I got to meet him again. And he just he slayed every time he played guitar. I mean, you know, so. And very sad loss to the music world as well. He was still yeah. playing fantastically right to the end. Sudden loss, very on. Uh, um, yeah, it's horrible that to, you know, I mean, he, at least um, we had we have his music to live on, listen to, and get inspired by. And um, just talking about it makes me want to go back and listen to stuff and. Yeah, yeah, and that's some of the best things you can say about anybody, isn't it? They inspire you and, and just make you want to listen to them. Um, there's something else early on in your career as well I want to ask you about. Is it is it true that you auditioned for Kiss? And if you did, what happened with all that? They didn't offer me enough money, so I said no. <laughs> you know? yeah, I was just a kid, man. I moved out to Los Angeles, and there was all kinds of wackiness happening, and Kiss was looking for a replacement for Ace, and they were working on a record, and the drummer Eric Carr, um, his girlfriend had actually seen me play at a club. And I had I had just gotten a band together, looked in the newspaper, joined a band, we're playing in Hollywood, and um, this girl said her boyfriend's Eric Carr and that she thinks I should meet Eric. And then Eric came a couple, it was like the next week or two weeks later, I can't remember, we played again, and she brought him and I met him. And then I went down and jammed with the guys at his recording studio. And I went and played with them live a couple times. And it was pretty surreal for an 18 year old kid to be like, you know, I mean, I'm, I was 18 going on. I mean, my, my, my maturity level was probably 10, you know, <laughs> like, so, you know, I went down and played with them a couple of times and, I think we sounded cool, but I I was just a kid. I couldn't hang out with those guys. And 
I've, I've actually figured it out now that if I had been more of a cool hangout, they might have said, okay, let's, let's go, you know, but that's a very important part of getting a gig is or being invited to jam with a band and, the, and then having them maybe say, hey, I like that guy. Because if, you, if you're a cool hangout, it's like a cool hang and you get on good and you can laugh and, you know, be on the same wavelength, then that's half the battle. And then if you can play, that's the other half. But, um, you know, I think that everything works out for a reason. And I got, I really, it really inspired me to, to try and do better, to, to, to be better, best I could be. Yeah, absolutely. And, and things happen at certain times, as you said. And, and you did find fame, though, with, with Lion. I mean, Dangerous Attraction, the band's first album came out. But uh, Mike Edwards had a, a serious accident, didn't he, around the time of the, the second album when it was released. Um, was, was the writing already on the wall for the band at that stage? Or, or was it the accident that kind of caused the, the, the disbandment of the band? Yes. For those people who don't know, Lion was my first recording, proper recording band. And we we did not, we were on, you know, we were living in Hollywood. We were playing on the Sunset Strip. And as you know, at that time, there was a lot of bands that were Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses and Poison. But I think Guns N' Roses was one of the last ones. But we were not, we were not like that typical kind of L.A. sound. We, our singer was British. and. Yeah. Our sound was definitely our our songwriting and everything was was um, not Sunset Strip sound. So we got passed on by a lot of labels, but we did finally get a deal because we were we were packing out clubs and stuff. But the the, la- the label that offered us a deal really didn't support us, so we were trying to switch labels, legal problems, this and that. Then we put out a second record of kind of backup material, like kind of B sides. We, and it, it was a cool record, but we were trying to show that we were free and that we weren't going to get sued. So we put it on a, a little small label and the band ended up breaking up and I ended up, you know, taking a, a gig with some other guys. But um, but it was a really great experience. And it's funny that still now, I mean, that, the band uh, has a little kind of underground, you know, reputation that's kind of cool. Still, I get signed records sometimes and stuff. Yeah, still loads of you um, spins and what they call plays or something, whatever they're called on on Spotify. I was checking them out the other day, and yeah, there's some there's some huge amounts of uh, numbers on there as well. So a lot of people still listening. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I know that somebody bought the rights to release it a few years back, and they're trying to release the second one as well. I don't know where that stands, but um, I'll have to check it out. The, one yeah, of the yeah, things that people remember about Lion was we did um, that record company. The one good thing about that record company because they they charged they they overcharged us like we owed them millions of dollars to soft that record for no reason but um they did re- we did get to co-write the theme song for a transformers movie the the old 80s toys and it's a lot of people first heard about the band from that song it's kind of funny you know transformers more than meets the eye all that stuff and um yeah so we got some movies. We got some movie soundtracks. That was kind of cool. Yeah, very cool indeed. And then you were in uh, Hurricane and then Bad Moon Rising came along. And that was a band that got a lot of success, a lot of traction in Japan, especially, didn't it? Yeah, that was around a time when um, we had, Lion had done well in Japan. So they wanted to kind of carry on with, with me and Cal Swan. And 
Cal had actually secured the deal. I was doing uh, Hurricane and also had been doing some, I recorded with House of Lords, uh, did some sessions with different people, whatever would come up, you know. And, um, but Cal got that, that deal secured and then I joined up and we did three or four Bad Moon Rising records and mainly Japan and parts of Europe. We had done really well, especially in Japan. It was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, an interesting question that uh, some one of my listeners asked me to ask you um, is: you, you've obviously worked with all the different projects and bands or anything like that, but is is there ever been an offer that you've rejected and looked back and and kind of regretted not taking it up? No, I mean, I, the only thing I could say is, I mean, I, I had a couple of things that um, that I turned down because I was trying to be loyal to Lion. I really wanted Lion to make it through the through the uh the dark days you know and yeah. so i turned a few things down one of them was was working with ronnie dio earlier on around 1989 something like that and um so of course later on down the road 10 years later 12 years later i joined dio again or i mean i joined it properly and i only can imagine what we would have done had i joined it back in the time but um you know Everything, everything works out how it's meant to. You know, you leave it, you leave it in the, in the hands of the higher power, and just go with it and do your best. You know, so maybe it was maybe it was a good. Maybe if I had joined Dio, maybe I would have been out of Dio earlier and wouldn't have been a part of Killing the Dragon, which is an album I really love. I love to be a part of. And maybe it was too. Would I wouldn't have the timing wouldn't have been right to join White Snake. You know, with White Snake. Mm-hmm. Um, I got that gig because when I was on tour with Dio for Killing the Dragon, David Coverdale saw us play and said, hey, I think he'd be a great guy for the White Snake, and I want to reform the band. So we had a great run together. And So you never know what happens if you yeah. look back, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned you mentioned Ronnie there and Killing the Dragon. I mean, uh, what was it like being in the studio with Ronnie then? What was what was his energy like, and and what was his voice like up close? Well, he was his his powerful. His voice was pure power. I mean, he just sang like a bird. His pitch was always perfect. He would just to you know, sometimes singers will. Um, you know, we were doing that on Pro Tools, so that that was there was a transition where. When you're singing on a tape, piece of tape and tape machine, old school recording, you had to sing it, you know, three or four times and you had to sing it good so that you, they could build a a, comp, a composite vocal out of that. With with Pro Tools, you know, you could, anybody could sing two or three times and then they could take the best bits and then they could auto-tune it and stretch it and put it in time and do all this stuff. But Ronnie didn't have to do any of that stuff, man. He just sang. He would sing the song once, and then the engineer would say, like, okay, let's go grab, what, what do you think? Or he would ask Ronnie, what do you think? And Ronnie would go, let's grab this line. Let me redo that one. And he'd punch in and do it. Just like, it would be just like he was recording on tape, but, you know, he didn't use, he didn't need all that technology. Um, and then his energy in the studio was exciting, man, for me. I mean, coming never forget, you know, the first day I rolled up, I opened my truck, and I pulled, I was getting ready to pull out an amplifier and this big uh, road crew on Ronnie's road crew 
comes up and goes, hey, don't don't touch that amp. You're our guitar player. You you can't be lifting anything like that anymore. That's my job, you know. I'm like, okay. And immediately I felt like I was part of a family. And Ronnie was super excited to to you know see what I would do with the songs. He would basically sit with his back to me, and he'd have these these glasses on, and he'd be doing crossword puzzles all day long, just doing. And, and then I'd be playing, and I'd go, Ronnie, what do you think about that? And he'd be like, what? And like that part, he goes, let me hear it. And he would go, I love it. You know, sounds great, mate. You know, and whatever. And then he, he would, he might have a suggestion. Like, I think mostly with, with my, my rhythm guitar playing, he was pretty much, I don't even remember him making any comments other than that he was, he liked it a lot. And then there were sometimes with solos and stuff where he might say like, you know, I want you to really make this, he would inspire me. He would, he would say, like, you know, Richie used to do this and this and this. And just him telling the story would inspire me. And then, you know, he, it just made you play better. Yeah. You mentioned Richie there. Did he ever tell any wonderful stories about his time with, with Richie Blackmore and Rainbow? Hey, folks. Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. He told a few stories. And Jimmy Bain was in the band at that time. Uh, Jimmy was a big part of the Dio sound, as, as everyone knows. I mean, Jimmy co-wrote a lot of that stuff with Vivian as well and, and Vinny. But um, Jimmy was definitely a talented, a really talented bass player. And he, he, Ronnie told stories that Richie and Richie used to kind of terrorize Jimmy a little bit, like play tricks on him and stuff. And uh, one of them was pretty brutal, like a, really scary trick involving fire, you know, but, um, you know, it was all in, you know, Richie's sense of humor. And then there was one time when they were working, he said, he was talking about, they were working on, um, long live rock and roll, the album long live rock and roll. And they went and did a seance like with a Ouija board. I don't know if you heard, you know what a Ouija board is. Yeah. 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 So they were doing a seance and, uh, some spirits took over the, it was a shot glass they were using instead of a whatever the Ouija piece is, and it started to move by itself. And Ronnie, was, he, you could see him getting chills telling the story. It was like it was real, and it was basically because the spirit that they were communicating with wanted to talk to Blackmore, and Richie wasn't there, so the spirit was <laughs> the spirit was upset. Where's Blackmore? You know. <laughs> Oh, funny. I was speaking to uh, Tony Carey recently, who was on the Rising record, and he was saying pretty much the same sort of thing. He was terrorized by, by Richie at times, and the seances and things like that were involved as well. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, I, I never heard, I never spoke of that with, uh, you know, with any of the other Rainbow guys or Dio guys. That was just something that 
Ronnie mentioned one time and it was pretty spooky. And he told me that he never would, he never um, ever did a Ouija board after that. It was, um, and then it's interesting, just this is off topic totally, but um, during the 2020 pandemic shutdown, all that stuff, I basically took that opportunity to, I was stuck at home. So I took that opportunity to do some construction at my house and I had to move to another house I rented and this lady, she's like, I got furniture. You don't need anything. Just for, just you guys can come stay here. Here's the rent, whatever. And I was looking in a closet to put my son's clothes and I found a Ouija board. I was like, oh, shit. And I took the, I carefully took it. I think I might have took it. I might have took it with a blanket and put it on the top of it. And took it, put it out in the garage and just walked away. I don't want any anything to do with that fucking thing. Absolutely, absolutely. And as you mentioned there, you went from from uh, Dio and the wonderful Ronnie to, to David Coverdale, who's a, another incredible vocalist. I mean, he always comes across as an incredible, uh, fun spirit. Um, what was your time like with David then? Oh, it was it was amazing. I mean, we we hit it off. You know, I was only I was only kind of planning. We were only planning to do two month tour, and he, you know, David done very well he, he was just he wanted to bring white snake back he had an offer to to do a co-headline tour with um the scorpions and and uh we went out and we had such a blast and he and i hit it off and we decided to keep going and keep touring and eventually you know ronnie i had to kind of decide what band i was going to be in and okay that was difficult because i loved ronnie and i went back to ronnie in 2005 and did some work with Ronnie and he said, look, man, I, I really want you to come back and you got to make up your mind. And I said, well, I'm going to, I will Ronnie. So I, I spoke to Coverdale, to David Coverdale and I explained, look, I need to, two things. One, if you want White Snake to move forward, we need new, we need to make some new music together or as a band. I meant. And um, because I said, otherwise, you know, I, I really, I'm, I had just done this real run with Ronnie and had a blast. And I, and that's when David said, yeah, I, I, you and I will be in the studio together at some point. Don't know when, but we will. And, um, once we, once David and I started writing together, it was really clear that we were on a, on a good roll. And in the end, we wrote 30 some odd songs together and we co-produced everything together. We had a little production team called the Brutal Brothers. And because uh, we would be like brutal on each other, like nothing was, nothing was, you know, we wouldn't let anything just slide by. It was always, you know, we wouldn't let anything slip through unless it was good enough. So, and, we, and I'm really proud of that time with White Snake, you know. And you mentioned they're having to have the conversation with, with, with Ronnie then. So, I mean, how did that go? Not good. <laughs> he basically <laughs> kicked me out of his house. He said, get the fuck out of here and don't come back. You know, basically that's what he said. He looked me right in the eye. He, I was doing a guitar solo on something and, um, we were just supposed to be writing. We were actually, we, we were, you know, working on some music and stuff. And he uh, was looking at his computer and he said, I just want you to put a guitar solo on this, this thing, you know? So I was doing that. He's like, great. And he goes, Oh, good news. He turned around. He goes, we got tour dates coming up next year and i had already or later this year and i had already co committed with david um 
for another leg. And I, so I was, I felt, you know, it was bad timing, but I said, listen, Ronnie, I, I've committed to David. So, you know, I, that's, that's what's, what's going to happen. And he, that's when he basically just said, well, fuck you. Get the fuck out. And that must've been incredibly difficult for you because obviously you had a great relationship with Ronnie as well, didn't you? Yeah, we did. And I never spoke of it really that hard, but that's what he said to me. And I was, I was upset. I was emotional. You know, I was really like, like, I mean, of course I was glad to be working with David, but, uh, I was, I'm not interested in pissing anybody off. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to, I don't mind standing my ground if I believe in something, but I just felt like I was put in a weird position really quickly and I had to make a decision. And Ronnie basically was just not having it. He, he, that confirmed maybe that for him that I was kind of, you know, fitting in well and, and enjoying my time working with David. And that was me kind of having to make a choice, which really upset him because, you know, Ronnie was, not second best to anybody, not Karel, not anybody. Ronnie was, he was the man, he is the man on the Silver Mountain. And I felt that way always about him it is just uh, down to commitment and, you know, the music business side of it, things like that. And there's, you know, there's always people that'll say like, why did you do this? Why did you do that? And again, like we spoke about, you know, you, you basically do your best. You try to do good. And and try to make the right decisions. And it's not always going to be the right decisions. You just got to roll with it, you know? Indeed. And that kind of started a, a really good relationship, obviously said with, with David Coverdale and a, a long tenure in the band. And, and there was new music, the first new music for Whitesnake for, for about a decade at that point, wasn't it? So getting yeah. in there and, and being part of that family, because obviously the Whitesnake family is, is huge and so incredible. Some of the names that have gone through that band as well. So that must yeah. be really heartening for you to, to be a, a strong part of that group as well. Yeah, of course. I mean, like, like, you know, the feeling of creating music anytime with anybody is really when you're, when you're excited about it, when you're into what you're doing and you, you're in this little room and you create, you know, you have a, have a musical melody or a drum beat that turns into a song. And then you've got, you know, both Ronnie and David were in this room with you working at various times. And, David more than Ronnie, but um, but there was a couple of times where I'd you know have David here and he'd start singing. I'd play something, he'd start singing, and it was just like goosebumps, you know. And <laughs> the song "Good to Be Bad" was one of them. I was sitting right here, right where you are, and I said, "I got this idea," and he, I said, "Here's kind of the melody. Here's what I'm hearing," which I never really told a singer like what I was thinking because I I was always afraid that they would get mad at me or they would say like. Well, I can, I don't, I'll do it myself, you know, don't worry about it. But I said, I got this idea, bah, 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 hey, tell me, babe, what's on your mind? And David goes, oh, ooh, I like that. And then all of a sudden he sang it. It was just like, whoa, that's what I was hearing, you know? And so it's very, it's a great feeling to have a piece of music that you're, you've just created and nobody knows about it. Not your family, not your wife, not your friends nobody except for you and whoever you're creating with you know it's really an exciting amazing feeling and uh me and david had a lot of those so it was cool 
Very cool indeed. And obviously you're really, really busy with, with different bands and different projects, but your attention is back on the Dead Daisies now and you've just completed a tour across North America, Resurrected Tour. That's gone fantastically well. Some been some really fun videos on YouTube that I've been watching. You guys look like you had an absolute blast. John Karabi's back in the band, but you're coming over to Europe. You're hitting the skies. You're hitting, cr crossing across most of mainland Europe. We're talking Italy. There's plenty of dates in Germany and the Netherlands and then Scandinavia and, and loads of places, France and all that sort of stuff as well. So are you looking forward to coming to Europe? Because Europe loves its rock, doesn't it? Of course, Europe is, uh, you know, it's very, it's, it's very important to, uh, you know, for our kind of music, heavy classic rock, 70s, 80s based rock. Um, we, you know, we love to be able to visit Europe. It's uh, because it's such a, it, it's, it's such a, different a lot of different cultures so it's like just in in a you know a four-hour drive you're going to a place where it's a new language and totally different you know scene happening and it, it's really exciting and the people uh the, the fans and the friends are are very dedicated as they should be because you know we're all trying to we're all trying to be keeping the, our music alive not just those of us who play it but those like for me as a as a fan of music that it's still every day i listen to it my bands my something new i might find whatever but i need it you know and i need to you know if it wasn't for me getting the chance to go play live i would definitely probably be going out to watch more live because there's a great energy about live music whether you're playing it or listening to it yeah and this lineup is my favorite dead days lineup i mean we've got I mean, we've had some great lineups and and I mean even prior to me there was some amazing lineups. But um having John Karabi come back, he's just a straight up no bullshit rock and roll killer. I mean, he's just and he's dead funny. I mean, he he <laughs> he's really an amazing person because he's so talented, but he's very down to earth. Very, very down to earth. Um and super talented songwriter, guitarist, but he's he's an amazing singer and a great frontman. And then we've got our new secret weapon, which is Michael Devon, who um, it was is best known for his time with Whitesnake. And kind of like after I had split, he was took over. It was David's kind of you know eyes and ears right hand man. Uh, he David loved Michael and. Um, he, uh, you know, as things all do, you know, change happens. And, and Michael was was doing um, um, the Guess Who for a while, and we we decided let's let's check out. Let's ask Michael if he wants to, you know, join the Dead Daisies, and he did it. And this band, this lineup is just smoking, not because of me, but because of you know, basically because of the energy that Krabi and Devin brought in. Devin and Devin and Tishy together have Tishy on drums. Have, those guys have done thousands of gigs together and they just are locked. There's just, it's next level from anything that I've ever played with. Tishy and Devin together is, is there's nothing that's better than that that I've ever played with. Um, and then, you know, Karabi's amazing and me and David are doing, you know, he, he's got the Australian Aussie rock, almost punk rock style. I've got my thing going on. And we're having a great time, and we're, the show is exciting. We've got a whole new set list that's, um, as you mentioned, 
kind of a compilation of the best of album that we just released uh, last month. It's very cool, and uh, we mentioned what what can we expect from the shows, and you mentioned the, um, the the tour and everything. Best place to, for people to go is thedeaddaisies.com. All the information's on there. You can get your tickets on there. You can see the dates and everything all the way across Europe. So best place is thedeaddaisies.com, and we've got to mention the best of album as well. It's a it's a fantastic record. I mean, there's there's twenty songs on there, eighteen songs from the six records that have already been released. There's a couple of unreleased tracks on there as well. So talk to us about those. Those were extras from the last record we did with Glenn Hughes that were from um, the um, Radiance album. And initially we, we were talking about doing kind of a concept album back during the, the lockdown times. Okay. We had written a bunch of stuff and it was, um, you know, it was pretty deep, very cinematic. And then when we got back on the road and decided to just do a straight up rock record, we ended up with, with Radiance. But we had some of those other ideas left over and we wanted those to be on the best of. So just as a as a teaser, something that, you know, they were songs that um that were really, really kind of went pretty deep, you know, like this one song, The Healer, is maybe the heaviest, darkest riff we've ever played. Okay. And Let It Set You Free. Although we had a song called Set It Free on uh, Set You Free on um the burn it down album this is let it set you free and uh it's a beautiful simple ballad you know that's uh it's really nice nice song but the other songs you mentioned there's a couple of songs that we've that you know from each album including one of the very first album the very first ep or album a song called miles in front of me and we do an updated version of that live which is really exciting and basically that that's kind of the template for the live show but we're we're adding and subtracting songs periodically. And the whole thing about the show is the people that are there are having a blast. There's even people that have seen the band three or four or five times have come up to me after this tour and said, man, that was the best show you guys, you guys have ever done. And I agree. I mean, it's, it's, um, it just feels different. You know, it feels, it feels like, especially because of Michael and John, it's like it's next level. Yeah, absolutely. And if anybody wants to check out, then, like I said, go on YouTube and look for the Dead Daisies on there because there's some tour diaries and things. And you can see the, the fans' own responses and they're all having an absolute blast. You definitely there's can tell that. But from Oh, there's always some goofiness. Where, you know, it's like, <laughs> it gets to the point where we're like, we're walking around. We have a, a photographer that, that's with us that does that stuff. We don't actually do the social media. We don't even know what half the time what's going to be used or not. So you get used to having a camera on you. You just start goof. Whenever you see it, you start goofing, you know, goofing off and making jokes and screwing around. And that's inevitably the stuff that gets on there. So it's pretty interesting for people to, to watch it. it might be embarrassing for us a little bit though. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it better for us. Uh, but just in terms of uh, the best of then just, I, I like to try and push people to, to buy the physical copies because it is so much better for the bands these days. And I've got to say the vinyl version of this best of is incredible. I mean, the visuals of it, there's um, a 16 page booklet on it. There's this stickers, there's posters, there's everything in there, but the actual vinyl itself, it's, it's kind of red spattered. It looks like blood spattered. It, it's a really visually brilliantly striking looking record. So if anyone can and is able to, definitely get hold of the vinyl copy of this record. I heard it was real blood. They put it in in the vinyl and they stirred it in. Or they made the vinyl and somebody got cut and splattered it. Something. There you go. You believe me? 
<laughs> of course, always. <laughs> no, but it is. It's fantastic. And as I said before, check out the deaddaisies.com because that is the best way to keep in touch with everything that's going on with the band. And you can see the tour dates, you can get the album, you can see the news and everything else. All the updates are on there, aren't they? Yeah. And, and of course, you know, every social, there's the Dead Daisies social. So um, there's always stuff on Instagram, and especially on Facebook. It's they, The band has got a, a good good following on facebook so there's a lot of stuff that's on facebook that's not on instagram so check them all out fantastic stuff well best of luck with the, the tour across europe i know you're going to japan before that as well so i hope that all goes well and uh, looking forward to to seeing the live shows when it hits this side of the atlantic thank you brother look forward to seeing you as soon as we can get there and uh and thank you for what you're doing we appreciate you guys and definitely um, check out the new album. You hope you really, you know, I think you'll really like it. And we'll see you out there. There you go, the brilliant Doug Aldridge there. Another fascinating interview. I hope you agree. A great look behind the scenes when songwriting with the likes of Ronnie Dio and David Coverdale. You could also feel the wrench when he spoke about letting Ronnie down as well, couldn't you? Anyway, as I say, if you can, go out and watch the Dead Daisies on tour. Good old-fashioned rock and roll played by master musicians. And if you can stretch to it as well, always try and check out the best of vinyl that they've got. The Dead Daisies, it's visually very striking, a beautiful-looking set. It really is. Check it out if you can. Or just give it a listen if you can't manage to buy it. Please do just stream and listen to the Dead Daisies when you get a chance. Anyway, that's it for me and this week's VRP Rocks. Thanks again for listening. Make sure you subscribe to VRP Rocks on your podcast app so that you get every single episode. They drop every single Monday. More great guests and brilliant stories to come over the next few weeks. Please leave a VRP Rocks a five-star review on the podcast app that you use as well. It makes a big difference. And check out the VRP Rocks YouTube channel and give us a like and follow and all that sort of stuff on the social media channels too. Just search for VRP Rocks. A big thanks to all of you who interact each week on all the socials and emails as well. I really do enjoy reading everything. But until next week then, take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.